back to another Shadow Battle Cry. The name of the message today is BB Invokes Holy War, Sons of Light versus Sons of Darkness. Okay, the reason that we're doing this video is Benjamin Netanyahu, the leader of Israel, did a speech recently, and he made some pretty weird statements talking about people of light, people of darkness, and there's a lot behind that. In fact, we're going to go on a crazy weird journey, but it's not too crazy because it's all true. Truth is stranger than fiction, and you're going to see, we're going to cover a lot of different topics, but we're going to see that there is a lot more to this statement than you would think uh, when you first hear it, and I'm going to show you the proof for that. So let's just uh, play his statement, and then we'll get into it. Our war against Hamas is a test for all of humanity. It is a struggle between the axis of evil of Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas, and the axis of freedom and progress. We are the people of the light. They are the people of darkness, and light shall triumph over darkness. Okay, so he says, we are the people of the light. They are the people of the darkness. Okay, so you might think, oh, that's not too bad, right? They're just saying they're the, on the side of light. Light is good and dark is bad. Fight the darkness. Well, that's not really what it means, though. Okay. And by the way, who is they are the people? Because it, they always say Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. But a lot of Palestinians are getting killed, innocent civilians. And there have been absolutely proven statements. I have it on video and on social media of Jews, Israelis calling for all the Palestinians to be wiped out, saying they're subhuman animals and all this stuff. So don't try to tell me that they don't say that because they absolutely do, okay? And I absolutely don't defend Hamas whatsoever, but I'm just telling you, let's not pretend that they're innocent, okay? I'm going to show you a lot. There's a lot more behind that. All right, so what we're going to look at here, and I have more than just this, by the way, connecting this to his statement, but I'm going to show you this first. So, there is actually a document called The War of the Sons of Light Against the Sons of Darkness, also known as War Rule, Rule of War, and the War Scroll. And it's a manual for military organization and strategy that was discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls. The manuscript was among the scrolls found in the Qumran Cave 1, acquired by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and first published posthumously by Eleazar Sukunik in 1955. The document is made up of various scrolls and fragments, including 1QM, and it shows the other ones, and it's possible that the War of the Messiah is the conclusion to this document. And it shows a little bit more about that. Now, what is this document? Okay, because we have this reference to uh, Sons of Light against Sons of Darkness. And talks a little bit more about the discovery and what it's talking about. But let's look at the contents. More focused on the contents of this document and what it's referring to. Because that's the reason that we want to look at it. Because if Benjamin Netanyahu is making a reference to this document, which I believe he 100% is. I'm going to show you more evidence of that. That other Jewish leaders are referring to that document as well and tying it together with Donald Trump and and uh, United States and basically this war holy war I'm going to I'm going to show you how that's all tied together but take a look at what's in this thing uh, and I'm not just going to show you Wikipedia that's just a launching point to show you what what it says about it mainstream scholarship and then also um Look at another document about this. Okay, contents. These scrolls contain an apocalyptic prophecy of a war 
between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. The war is described in two distinct parts. First, the war against the Kittim, described as a battle between the sons of light, consisting of the sons of Levi, the sons of Judah, the sons of Benjamin, and the exiled of the desert, against Edom, Moab, the sons of Ammon, the Amalekites, and Philistia, and their allies, the Kittim of Ashur, referred to collectively as the army of Belial, and those who assist them from among the wicked who violate the covenant. The second part of the war, the War of Divisions, is described as the sons of light, now united, now the united twelve tribes of Israel conquering the nations of vanity. In the end, all of darkness is to be destroyed, and light will live in peace for all eternity. The text goes on in detail, goes on to detail inscriptions for trumpets and banners for the war and liturgies for the priests during the conflict. Okay, so I want you to notice something right off the bat. Talks about this. There's a prophecy of this war that's going to happen between the tribes of Israel and these other nations, Edom, Moab, Moab, Philistia. These are the heathen, the Gentiles, right? And so in this context, what we're talking about, who would that be? Well, it'd be the Palestinians and all these other Muslim nations that are going against Israel. That's who they would be. They would be the, those would be viewed as the sons of darkness in this prophecy. Okay. Um, there are many key differences in the way the war against the Kittim and the war of divisions are described. Now we don't have to go through that. I'm going to show you the the next document. It gives a little bit more insight because there's actually a little bit more to that. But notice how it says apocalyptic prophecy of this war. Okay, so let's look at the next uh, document about this. All right, so let's look at this article from Encyclopedia Britannica, The War of the Sons of Light Against Sons of Darkness. And it says that uh, the War Rule War Scroll, Dead Sea Scroll, one of the most important documents of the Essene sect of Jews that established a community at Qumran in the Judean desert during the first half of the second century BC. Okay, the Essenes thought themselves to be the holy elect of Israel, the sons of light, who would at the end of time engage in a catastrophic war with the enemies of Israel, the sons of darkness. Okay, so. This is, most people agree that this document is from the Essenes. And I am going to show you who they were um, later on. But I just want you to, to see that, that this is most likely a document from the Essenes. And uh, that's what this is being referenced here. The War Rule is a manual for military organization and strategy, including detailed specifications for battle gear and signals. It is also a theological discourse that develops the doctrine of the spirits of truth and perversity mentioned in the sect's Manual of Discipline. The scroll's apocalyptic portrayal of a 40-year holy war between the forces of good and evil involves heavenly as well as earthly soldiers. So not just flesh and blood human soldiers fighting this war, but also heavenly. The elect of Israel are joined by an angelic host, while the devil and the evil angels fight alongside other nations of the earth. The victory of the forces of light was to signal the final destruction of evil, after which the God of Israel would rule eternally in justice. Now that might sound nice to you. Might sound like it's good. But I'm going to show you that is false. It's an illusion. 
a deception, okay? But they say this involves, you know, spiritual beings, angels fighting as well in this holy war. Most scholars identify the enemy contend with the, of the scroll of the Romans, blah, 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 okay, whatever. And then talks about Essenes. Okay, so we're going to go to the next part here, and uh, I'm going to show you that. Now, you might be saying, okay, Nate, yeah, I see that there's that, that document, you know, about the, the sons of light versus the sons of darkness from the war scroll, and the Essenes made that. But how do we really know that, you know, Netanyahu is referring to that? I mean, does anyone else talk about that and connected to these, these events in modern day times? I just, I don't know about that. Okay, well, how about this? How do you explain this? From templecoins.com. Sons of light against sons of darkness. It's a coin. And on that coin, it shows Benjamin Netanyahu with Donald Trump. And around the coin, it says war of the sons of light against the sons of darkness. Around the edge of the coin. And this coin is being sold for $80. Now, that's one thing. Now, now we're going to see who's behind this. And uh, if you look up at the top of the address, it says copy of Trump and BB Netanyahu coin. Now, this is a direct reference to this war scroll document. And tying it together. Now, why does it tie together Donald Trump and Netanyahu? Why are they tying those those things together? Well... We're going to find out. First of all, who is this? Templecoins.com. All right, well, we're going to find out. Okay, so they sell all these crazy coins, but who is behind this? Well, we'll stay on, we'll go to, to the main page here. Temple-coins.com. And let's see what they say here. Act now and connect yourself physically to the Holy Land. And you connect yourself physically by buying their coins. Look at how expensive these coins are. One coin is is uh, $250. Well, I mean, that's silver, so that's good. But <laughs> but still, the Abraham Accord, Israel, and, and UAE memorabilia set, $175. $99 for a David and Goliath coin, King Solomon coin. But what do they say here? Investing in the Holy Land and God's chosen people has never been easier. This absolutely sounds like an infomercial. At Temple Coins, we link Christians around the world with the biblical capital of the universe. We inspire Christians with a reminder of God's love and promise to the world. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Why are they talking about Christians? All our coins are designed and made in Israel. A portion of each purchase is donated to local charities. You're not just purchasing a coin, but a biblical, historical center of God's love and passion for his land and his people. Really, who who is God's people, by the way? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But anyways, it's true. This is what they say. It's true. Israel is the holy land. It is God's chosen land. And the Jews are God's chosen people, okay? So they're targeting Christians, but they're talking about Jews. And they say, as Christians... We 
Okay, notice how they phrase this. This is important because I'm going to show you something very strange about this because you would think from the, the, the way that this is written that this is a website made by Christians, blatantly Christian Zionists, that are, that are targeting Christians, getting them to buy coins about Israel, right? As Christians, we need to support Israel and its people because, this is what they say, God says he will bless those who bless them. They love to quote that. We owe them a debt for the blessings we have received through them. Oh, we're indebted to the to Israel. Okay. And then God's gift and call on Israel has not been revoked. Oh, okay. What gift and what call really is the question. Invest in the Holy Land and God's chosen people. Oh, I didn't know we could invest in God's chosen people by buying a hundred dollar coins with Don and and buying a, a coin with Donald Trump's picture on it. Our coins depict historical events, so you can carry history with you everywhere you go. All roads lead to Jerusalem. Yeah, no, no, the, all roads lead to Rome. But uh, we'll talk more about that later. Now. A couple more statements from here. The way we as Christians, we as Christians treat Israel is a reflection of how we treat everything else God has created. That is an unbelievable statement here. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you have to learn more about our holy blessing range. Then they got all these necklaces. Just, they probably make so much money off this stuff. All right, now I'm going to show you something strange about this because we're looking at, okay, we still don't really know who's behind this, this website, right? Who made these coins? Who's making these coins? All we know is this templecoins.com. If we go to the bottom, there isn't even an about page. Hey, quick links. Jerusalem series, commemorative, commemorative, memorabilia, terms of service, privacy policy, refund, shipping, contact us. But what do we see there? Not much. Info temp Temple Coins and some phone number. Okay? It doesn't say who makes this stuff. Now I'm going to show you a couple things here. Because I am going to show you who's behind this. But first of all, I'm going to show you one thing. Now, if you, you, you know, you go through all this stuff on the main page, the stuff about the coins, but then you go down and again, this is specifically targeting Christians blatantly, right? Now you go to the bottom and there's a bunch of articles, right? Blogs. Okay. So, okay. Then this must be uh, people from this website or, or uh, putting out these blog posts. What are they about? The Good Herod, Herod Agrippa, Eastern Pontius Pilate, the world's smallest Bible on a microchip, and then Operation Jonathan, the Inteb raid, July 4th, 1976. Oh, okay, well, what's this about? Well, this is an article. It says by Jason Glick, but it actually says this blog post, post was written by guest author Dr. Tuvia Book. Okay. Now, what's this story about? Well, I'm not going to read this article to you, but I'll just tell you real quick. If you look at the beginning, on America's bicentennial, July 4th, 1976, elite Israeli commandos led by 30-year-old Lieutenant Colonel Yonatan, or Jonathan Netanyahu, rescued over 100 hostages from Entebbe 
over 2,000 miles from Israel in a daring operation that stunned the world. The only military casualty of the operation was its planner and leader on the ground, Yanni himself, who died as he had lived leading from the front. Okay, so it goes on to tell this war story about how great these Israeli elite Israeli commandos are, right? And he did all this great stuff and and we need to remember the deeds and memory of Netanyahu and and we should take the opportunity to honor all of his comrades who took part in the operation and the brave young women young men and women who keep our country safe talking about Israel and you too can commemorate and honor the spirit of Entemba as we approach the 45th anniversary of this daring raid by owning your own Operation Inteb commemorative medal from Temple Coins. Oh, okay, of course. So it's basically a sales page. <laughs> Gets you emotionally invested in this story about these brave soldiers who sacrificed their lives for you. For I'm, I'm sorry, not America, for Israel, and uh, and that you should buy the coins to. Uh, help to to honor their memories and by the way christians should do that because it helps israel as well okay now who is this guy dr tuvia book well i'll show you dr tuvia book tuvia book here he is oh who is he Okay, well, Dr. Tuvia Book was born in London and raised in both the UK and South Africa. After making Aliyah at the age of 17 and studying in Yeshiva, he volunteered for the IDF. Okay, the Israeli Defense Force. He joined the Israeli military, all right, where he served as a lone soldier in an elite combat unit. Doesn't say what that unit is, but I'm thinking it's probably Sayeret Matkal which is basically the equivalent of the Delta Force in Israel. Now, so you're telling me that an elite soldier, Israeli soldier, is writing blog posts that are used on a website that targets Christians to sell them really expensive coins. What what in the world is going on here? Now, one thing we can say right here is that they know their target audience, right? They're specifically targeting Christians. Now, they say, we as Christians. Well, guess what? I'll show you right here. There's no evidence this guy's a Christian. He's a a Jew. Practices Judaism. There's no evidence that he, he even claims to be a Christian. But guess what? That's just a blog post on there that they're targeting Christians with. But who's really behind this whole Temple Coins thing? Well, we're going to find out. As I said, this Temple Coins uh, um, store. If we go here, what we're going to find out is there is another website. It's an older website. And if you go to this website... It says, when you purchase an authentic holy coin, I didn't know coins could be holy, holy coin, a part of the purchase is donated to our holy mission of rebuilding the temple. Hold on a second here. When you buy these coins, it helps to rebuild a temple, the temple in Israel. Worldwide shipping. Now, hold on a second here. Wait a second. 
What is that? Oh, that's the same coin that we saw before. The Sons of Light against the Sons of Darkness coin. It's the exact same coin with Netanyahu and Trump on it. Says the same thing on it. And if we scroll down, let's see what it says. Will supporting Israel make me a better Christian? <laughs> we can't... Hold on. Uh... See right here. Yeah. We can't curse what God has blessed. Israel is the holy land. It's God's chosen land. And the Jewish people are God's chosen people. We should support them so that we can better connect with God's blessing. So you get God's blessing when you buy these coins to support Israel, right? And so the answer to your question is yes, you will become a better Christian for supporting Israel. Listen to what they are saying. Supporting Israel will make you a better Christian. And and the way that you, you want Christians to support Israel is to buy these coins. And then it goes on to say, and yes, we need to advocate for the Holy Land like our lives depend on it because they do. We connect Christians around the world with biblical capital of the world, the biblical capital of the world. We inspire Christians with a reminder of God's love and promise to the world. Again, targeting Christians. Now, who is targeting Christians here? Is it Christians? Is that who it is? Because if we look here, that first website was targeting Christians. This one is too. And yet we have down here, Professor Hillel Wise, founder of Mikdash Zion. When purchasing the temple coin, you are taking a small part in the holy mission of rebuilding the temple. Sorry, I had to uh, refresh the page. But anyways, if you're on this page of uh, the, the coin of Trump and Netanyahu, you go right here and it says, who invented this coin? Invented by Professor Hillel Wise. Okay, this is the guy at the bottom right here, Professor Hillel Wise, founder of Mikdash Design, and we're going to uh, look into him in a second. But it says right there, that's who made the coin. Now, for some reason, we know he made it. We know it was on this website being sold. And, you know, right now it's on the website templecoins.com. Went up in price a little bit. It used to be 65 Now it's 80 bucks. But that's who made it. But for some reason, on the new website, templecoins.com, we don't see the guy's name. We don't see Hillel Wise anywhere on here. The website targeting Christians. And it says, invented by Professor Hillel Wise, this special coin is produced to praise, to praise Donald Trump. President Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu for doing all they can to bring light to the world. What do they mean by light? As part of a historical and divine process towards the rebuilding of the third temple. Now, what does he mean by that? As part of a historical and divine process towards rebuilding the third temple? who Who's part of that process? Donald Trump and Netanyahu are part of that? 
and it's in this coin is produced to praise them very strange but anyways that's who invented it hello wise so let's look into see who this guy is hello wise is a professor emeritus of literature at bar ilan university in israel and he is a tenured professor at the Joseph and Norman Berman Department of Literature, Jewish People, Faculty of Jewish Studies, Barnt Ilhan University, Ramat Gan, Israel. Head of the Department of Hebrew Literature. He changed its name to the Department of Literature of Jewish People. And it goes on to, to say, you know, talk about his academic career. Now, views and opinions. Hillel Wise is a prominent figure in the Neo Zionist movement. He was one of the founders of the religious peace movement in the early 70s. He believes in the necessity of rebuilding the temple and instating Jewish rule over greater Israel. Weiss believes that secular Jews are betraying their cultural heritage if they deny the mythical aspects of the Masada narrative. Okay, so it goes on there. We're going to stop right there because i got a bunch of other stuff to cover. So, point is, this guy is a Jew... Zionist who wants to rebuild the temple, build a third temple. Okay? That's exactly who he is. This guy is 100% not a Christian. Okay? So, this is strange. Now, there's one other guy behind this Mikdash Institute. We'll talk about him later. He's also not a Christian. So, you want to ask yourself, first off, why are these Jew guys targeting Christians and also pretending to be Christians to sell them coins with Trump and Netanyahu's face on them, which then they say that they take the money from that to help build the third temple, which by the way would be blasphemous if they offer animal sacrifice in that. It's a denial of the sacrifice of Christ saying that that was not sufficient. We all, we all Now we need to do animal sacrifice because they reject Christ Jesus as the Messiah. So Christians giving money to that is a sin. 100% straight up. But they're, they're tricking them. You know why? Because they see them as marks. These Christian Zionists that support all this stuff, these dispensational Christian Zionists, they see them as marks. I'm going to use a technical term here. It's called useful idiot. Not being mean. It's a technical term. What it means is, it means that you're being used. You're naive. You're ignorant. You think you're supposed to be doing something good, but it's absolutely wrong. It's bad. You're being used. You think they care about Christians. They do not. They do not care about you at all. They don't support your religion. They reject your Messiah. They despise your religion. And they're using you to fleece you, take your money, using you to support their cause so they can, they can, uh, you can support their military, help them build the temple and all this other stuff. And then they'll throw you to the side when they're done with you. They don't care about you. We're going to take a look at some of the things that Hillel Wiseman has been involved in. This article says the architect and activist who wants to build the Jerusalem's third temple. Acclaimed architect Haim Dotan and scholar-activist Hillel Wise proposal meant to build Jerusalem, the temple city, and the road to peace. Haim Dotan, an acclaimed architect who has won several international awards and also serves as a professor of architecture at leading institutes in China, recently became involved in the ambitious project of designing the third Jewish temple in Jerusalem. 
known for his extravagant projects, such as the Grand Canyon Glass Bridge in China, renowned as the tallest glass bottom bridge in the world, Dotan last year joined the right-wing activist and literature scholar Professor Hillel Wise and pitched a session at the Jerusalem International Conference from the umbilicus Monday to the four corners of the earth and back. The conference scheduled to take place this summer in Jerusalem will be organized by the Yad Ben Zvi Institute, a prestigious research center in Israel. Dotan's pitch, Building Jerusalem, the Temple City, and the Road to Peace, was divided into three sections. The first was dedicated to the transportation and economy of the future Temple City of the Israeli capital. The next pitch, entitled From Vision to Practice, described future plans for the Jerusalem of the Third Temple era inspired by biblical sources. In the center of the plant is what he says, an open structure will be built above the old city of Jerusalem. It will be shaped like a tent, a cloud, or a mountain. Six or eight bridges will connect constructive towers which will combine stairways and elevators supporting Upper Jerusalem. Upper Jerusalem. They want to build this, basically this Jerusalem in the sky above Jerusalem. Almost sounds like a counterfeit of New Jerusalem descending from heaven out of the sky. They're talking about building that. A copy of the sketch also showed a cylinder-shaped structure connected by bridges. Dotan's pitch was dismissed by the Yad Ben Zvi Institute, which told I-24 News that the content of the paper handed by Dotan and Wise did not match the main themes of the conference, which is mainly focused on the historic side of the story and doesn't pretend to deal with the future. Well, that doesn't matter if they rejected it. It doesn't mean that they won't try it again and don't have, you know, keep trying to push these ideas. And I definitely will show you more about the Third Temple. Uh, in response, Wise said, I think we are considered a threat to the idea of internationalization of Jerusalem and all kinds of interreligious and anti-religious plans regarding the city. Several questions remain open in the proposal. Who would be in charge of the new temple? What would happen to the Al-Aqsa Mosque? We'll talk about that later. One of the most sacred sites in Islam created, located on the Temple Mount. What would be the consequences of rebuilding a new Jewish temple what would the consequences be amid the complex flashpoint geopolitical atmosphere of the Middle East? Yeah, what would happen then? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. Oh, yeah, there's more about Wise. Okay. Now, this may be another far-fetched attempt that is ignored by the authorities, but the fact that a prestigious architect who is secular and doesn't have any political background is involved in such a project makes this case all the more interesting, if not more tangible. Plans to rebuild the third Jewish temple on the Temple Mount, the holiest site in Judaism and the third holiest in Islam, are not new, but have mostly faced strong resistance. In 1990... A deadly riot erupted on the mount after a French Jewish group tried to lay the cornerstone of a third temple. Wise himself was once a member of the Sanhedrin organization, literally the Pharisees, a small body that aims to build a UN-like body based on the Jewish Torah law. I only believe in peace and I don't want any bloodshed. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. So, Wise wants to rebuild the third uh, temple. Wants to build it on the Temple Mount. Okay? 
That's what he wants to do. That's who this guy is. This is the same guy who is selling. He invented and is selling this Sons of Light against Sons of Darkness coin with Netanyahu and Trump. He's selling this coin to Christians. Is this Jewish guy that wants to build the third temple. Okay, now he's got some pretty interesting statements here we're going to take a look at. Okay. Now, uh, this guy, Hillel Wise, had some pretty interesting statements about uh, Pope Benedict and the Vatican. Really want you to pay attention to this. This was back in 2009, but very interesting statements here. It uh, definitely ties together these things we're talking about today. Professor Hillel Wise, Pope Persona Non Grata. Bar Ilan University professor writes article referring to Benedict as the chosen Trojan horse trying to apply the Holy Basin policy in Jerusalem. After insulting the Hebron Brigade commander on camera and speaking against the gay pride parade in Jerusalem, Professor Hillel Wise launched another attack Sunday, this time against Pope Benedict, who is expected to visit Israel next month. The Bar Ilan University professor published an article in the Eretz Israel Shalanu Bulletin distributed in synagogues over the weekend titled The Pope a Persona Non Grata. According to Wise, the Israelis have established committees and institutes with the funds of the European Union and anti-Zion Jews in order to promote the final solution of the Jerusalem problem. All these bodies are competing against each other on ways to get rid of Jerusalem somehow. For that purpose, they invented the Holy Basin Plan, which takes Jerusalem back to an ex-territorial status, which means no Jews and no state of Israel. Thus, the Pope, listen to what he says, the Pope is a savior for whom they yearn so that he can remain on the rooftop of the church on the Mount of Zion and take us down to the Hinnom Valley and finally set up the borders determined for the Holy Basin. Okay. Now, something you got to understand with this whole, you know, everything that we're talking about today is that everybody plays a role in the, in this plan. Ultimately, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So there's some other forces working, in, you know, uh, in the spiritual realm. And so people are going to be used as pawns and as tools, right, to accomplish certain goals. So they may think that they're going to be doing one thing and they're used for one purpose for a while and then they'll be cast aside later. So like this guy, you know, Hillel Wise, he wants to, you know, build this this temple, all this stuff. We're going to see how much destruction that's going to cause in the future. They want to do all that. But then after that, they, they're allowed to do all that stuff. They're going to be cast aside, and who's going to come in as the Savior? Well, he tells you. He tells you what they want to do. They want to internationalize Jerusalem, and the Pope, he says, is viewed as a Savior. And you continue to see what else he says about the Pope. Professor Wise went on to criticize the Pope's visit to the Temple Mount. The goal is that a Jew's foot will not step on the heart of Jerusalem, like before the year 1967, and in fact, just like today and since the liberation of Jerusalem. The Jerusalem police know what their masters want. Who are their masters? Who Who is he saying the masters of the Jerusalem police are? The, uh, the Jerusalem police know what their masters want and gladly and willingly cooperate 
in order to expel Jews from the Temple Mount supported by Jewish circles who say, what have we got to do with this? Isn't it better to internationalize Jerusalem, get rid of Judea, Samaria, and Gaza, and all of all the Feiglins, referring to Likud, Hardliner, Moshe, uh, Feiglin, and uh, Ketzalaks, referring to the National Union head, Yaakov Katz, and take the same opportunity to withdraw from Tiberias and the Lower Galilee so as not to hurt the feelings of His Holiness? Not to hurt the feelings of who? The Pope! That's what he's saying. Oh, they want to international, internationalize Jerusalem to not hurt the feelings of the Pope. Satanic plan. He also mentioned Pope Benedict's past during World War II. And he said, this is what he says about <laughs> this is what he says about the Pope. This loser who was a member of the Warmacht in his youth is expected, according to the itinerary, to visit the Temple Mount on Lag Baomer. He definitely didn't like the Pope. The Pope is the chosen Trojan horse. More interesting. What is he talking about? Okay, this is what Weiss is saying. The Pope is the chosen Trojan horse through which not only the Vatican, but every army of Gog and Magog led by the United States is trying to apply the Holy Basin policy according to the vision of former minister Yossi Bailin and Shimon Perez and Prime Minister Ehud Olmert. The Holy Basin is a form of baptism, or rather an attempt to drown the Jewish religion and the Jewish people behind the screen of the peace process, which is another name for the disownment of Jerusalem, while annulling the Jewish sovereignty and passing it to Ishmael, meaning passing it to the Muslims. According to Wise, the Holy Basin idea is none other than the same satanic plan aimed at returning to the internationalization of Jerusalem, the U.S., the United States dream since before the state's establishment. The swift reconciliation with the current pope after his chapter of blunders does not grace the people of Israel. All diplomatic officials in Israel must prevent the signing of agreements aimed at undermining Israel's sovereignty in Jerusalem, prevent any undermining of Jerusalem's sovereignty I don't worry, I got some, uh, there's definitely some more important statements here. Prevent any undermining of Jerusalem's sovereignty and hold during the visit prayers and rallies and children's parades and proper log bonfires in order to remember and be reminded of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, his students, Rabbi Akiva, and all those who did not give in to the old Rome and to the new one. Wow. The professor also personally attacked the Pope. There is no hole he doesn't fall into with his statements. Anywhere he wanders to in this his world travels, his tongue brings people down, and he has become an embarrassment to his senders. Only in Israel, the country where the authorities and enlightened rabbis are waiting, longing to shake his hand and receive equalitarian recognition of the, of the three religions, the Pope has a status which causes the Catholic Church to to aspire to become an international diplomatic factor, Wise concluded. Wow. So the reason I read that is that you can see here, again, there's multiple dynamics going here, but he actually said a lot of truth here. 
And a lot of people don't understand this, that the Vatican is very much involved in what goes on in Jerusalem. In fact, there was a researcher who uh, is, uh, has passed away, but he, his name was Barry Chamish, and he, he actually reported a lot of this. He actually made a, a, a video about this, and it's called uh, Vatican's War on Jerusalem or something like that. And he talked about Israeli leaders, leading rabbis, um, you know, working with the Vatican, even helping to sign over holy sites to, to uh, the Vatican for them to be custodians of. A lot of crazy stuff going on there. So the Vatican's absolutely involved with Jerusalem. And they do want it to be internationalized. And But in order to get to that point, a lot of, you know, a few things need to change. Okay, and we're going to be talking about that in a second. But one thing is the Dome of the Rock is there. That's a holy mosque for the the Muslims. The Jews want to be there. They want a third temple. There's all this stuff that's going on. So everyone has their own agendas. But he's talking here about the Vatican aspiring to be this international diplomatic force to bring in. What does he say? He calls him a, a Trojan horse, a savior figure. And there, there's new, there's uh, recent headlines talking about this, about the Pope calling for peace. That we need, a, a, you know, some other power that's outside of all these nations to bring peace. So just think about that. Remember that, okay? But you know, back to wise. Just to see what this guy's mentality is. This guy is hardcore, like it says, hardcore Jewish Zionist who wants to build the third temple, do whatever it takes to get there. And he believes in Israelite supremacy over everyone else, especially in that area. Okay? So... An Israeli organization said Wednesday it has minted a coin bearing President Donald Trump's image to honor his recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The Mikdash Educational Center said the temple coin features Trump alongside King Cyrus, who 2,500 years ago allowed Jews to return to Jerusalem from their exile in Babylon. Rabbi Mordecai Persoff said that Trump, like Cyrus, made a big declaration that Jerusalem is the capital of the holy people. Okay, so this again, this is Mikdash Center. They're behind these coins. So they had another coin with Trump, you know, likening him to King Cyrus and all this stuff. So we go to the Mikdash Education Center. We go to their website. What do we see? What do they say? Our vision. For over 2,000 years, we prayed and dreamed to return to the land of Israel and to Jerusalem, the holy city. The prophets promised us that the day would come and the people of Israel will return to their land and the land will flourish. We believe that the Lord touches the hearts of believers and it is his will that you were chosen to stand with and support his people Israel. So who are they targeting? Again, this, this is targeting Christians. God has appointed him me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Ezra 1, 2. Yeah, that was back then. It's not talking about right now. And uh, it says, Your donations help us to promote the building of the third temple. Again, the, the coins, the money from the coins goes to building the third temple. They got this 
coin right here. With the, they show Trump's head on there. And Cyrus. And they say, we have a mission. First and foremost, to connect the people of Israel to Jerusalem, the holy city, and to the temple, to renew our destiny, restore the divine presence. What are they talking about there? We'll, we'll talk about more uh, in a second. Talk more about that. Together with us, all the nations of the world will unite around the prayer that my house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. All the nations of the world, really. Be a part of spreading the light. What light? Again, you'll find out. And glory of the temple in Jerusalem look to the world. When you purchase an authentic holy coin, as part of the purchase is donated to... Uh, Looks like that blanked out. Your donations help us to rekindle the flame of the temple in the hearts of the entire Jewish population through formal and experiential education. Temple coins. There you go. Okay? So, again, they take the money of the Christians to build the third temple. Okay? That's exactly what they are doing. Okay? Okay. So, we have seen so far that uh, Netanyahu made that statement about the people of light versus people of darkness. We see the connection between that document, the war scroll, the Essene document, and then that another connection puts Netanyahu on a coin with Trump with that statement from the war scroll. And then we look at who's behind it. Talked about Hillel Weiss and then Mordecai Persoff, and they're they're selling these coins specifically targeting Christians. So they could take their money to prepare to build the third temple. They say exactly what we're doing with the money. And uh, and so that's where we're at so far. Now, we're going to take this to the next level to show you what that actually means. What does it actually mean to do the third temple? Because there's a big problem. They want to build the third temple on the, on the temple mount. Only problem is... There's a mosque up there. Right here. It's called the Dome of the Rock. Uh, well, you know, there's Al-Aqsa Mosque, I should say. That's the mosque. Al-Aqsa Mosque. That's in the way. So what are they going to do? I mean, if that's there, I mean, how are they going to build the third temple? Well, you're going to find out. Because when you're supporting these groups, these Jews, these Zionists that want to build the third temple... This is what you're advocating for. And guess what? They admit to it in this article. Okay? So let's look at it. A Christian group is building a movement that could destabilize Jerusalem's most explosive holy site. This article is from 2019. Cry for Zion. That's the group. An Israeli-based organization started in 2014 is recruiting Christians worldwide as it campaigns for complete Israeli control where the Al-Aqsa Mosque now stands. Christian Zionists were instrumental in Donald Trump's lightning rod decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Remember, that's what Trump did. That was a big move to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and move the United States embassy there. And he relocated the American embassy there, a move many imbued with spiritual meaning. Now a Christian group aims to harness that same evangelical people power to alter radically the status quo at Jerusalem's Temple Mount, the most bitterly contentious holy site in the Middle East. Cry for Zion, an Israel-based organization started in 2014, is recruiting Christians, going after Christians, 
worldwide in its campaign to push Israel to fully control the site, which is administered by a Muslim religious trust, the Jerusalem Islamic Waqf. The group's Change.org petition for full sovereignty for Jews, one of Cry for Zion's several actions, has earned more than 8,760 signatures. Its YouTube presentation challenging Islam's claim to the site has had more than 55,000 views. Probably more by now, right? The movement is small, but leaders say that they are making inroads with Christians who are predisposed to support Israel, even if they have little awareness of what Cry for Zion Executive Director Doran Kaidar claims the Israel issue of today. With slick graphics and a regular YouTube show called Temple Mount Report, the group hopes to broaden support for an issue traditionally championed by a narrow but influential segment of the Israeli right. And the consequences could be explosive. We'll see exactly what they mean by that. The Temple Mount, known to Muslims as the Noble Sanctuary, is a flashpoint for violence where real or perceived changes to the status quo can prove deadly. The bloody Second Intifada was sparked when Ariel Sharon, then leader of the Israeli opposition in the Knesset, took a provocative walk on the platform in 2000. Between 2015 and 2016, tensions over Jewish and Muslim access to the site contributed to a wave of Palestinian attacks, Palestinian attacks against Israelis, which was met with a harsh Israeli military response. And in 2017, when Israel placed metal detectors at the entrance to the site after a Palestinian attack there, a mass protest ensued that spread to Jordan. Israel eventually removed the security measures. Cry for Zion's push for Israeli control of the Temple Mount contradicts the Israeli government position, which backs the Waqf's authority there in order to avoid inflaming tensions with the Palestinians and also Jordan, which controls and funds the Waqf. But... Cry for Zion aims to disrupt the current state of affairs, contending that Christians who believe in the Bible should act on God's promise to the Jewish people, even if the Israeli government won't. Okay, so you see how they're targeting and manipulating Christians to change the policy in Israel for the Temple Mount. It is the most Jewish site in the entire country, said John and Arson, the Christian relations director for Cry for Zion, calling the Temple Mount the key to sovereignty. If Israel doesn't have legitimacy or rights on the Temple Mount, why logically should they have rights in Tel Aviv or Beersheba or anywhere else? Munther Isaac, the director of Christ at the Checkpoint and Anti-Occupation Christian Palestinian Conference, called the notion that Israel should control the site because of biblical claims dangerous. Now, just wait till you hear what they say towards the end of this. The idea that we have to go to an ancient religious text and assume that we can solve one of the most complicated conflicts today based on our notion that God assigned a particular piece of geography to a particular nation and that we can assume for sure that a certain people today are the actual ethnic descendants and that is how we solve the conflict. To me, that is ridiculous, he said. Well, Sounds like they don't like uh, the Bible. But nevertheless, it is kind of true because there will be no peace without the Prince of Peace. And it's not going to happen until he returns. And that's a fact. The Temple Mount is the holiest site in, Ju in Judaism. The place where Abraham was said to offer Isaac to God in sacrifice. According to tradition, it was the base 
of two biblical temples. Muslims revered as a point from which Muhammad ascended to heaven. That's what they said. That's what they teach. The Al-Aqsa Mosque, one of several Islamic shrines there, is the third holiest place in Islam after Mecca and Medina. That's very important, okay? So the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount, the third most holy place in Islam, okay? Cry for Zion also emphasizes its centrality for Christians because Jesus would have worshipped there in the second temple period. It's just one of the many important Christian places in the area, including Bethlehem, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Galilee, and others. By the way, there's a Catholic order called the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem. You should look into that. And, oh, Jesus would have worshipped. Actually, no, he wouldn't because... Well, first of all, you know the Wailing Wall? Yeah, that's completely fake. That's a lie. It's not It's not part of the temple at all. That's completely fake. It's a lie. Uh, Jesus said that the, the temp, about the temple, he said not one stone would be left upon another. And there wasn't. And Josephus reported, there's reports from history showing that when Titus came in and they destroyed that temple, not only did they destroy it, they also plowed up the, the blocks that were underground to make sure there was nothing left and no sign that anything was there. Everything, the whole temple was destroyed, all the way to even underground. The Wailing Wall is fake. And it's a place where they do a disgusting Kabbalistic ritual. Okay, so that's, that's totally fake. No, Jesus wouldn't go there. For centuries, the, Jesus, the, the site has been administered by an Islamic trust. Most recently, the waqf, an arrangement that Israel upheld after it seized the plaza in the 1967 Six-Day War. Non-Muslim prayer is prohibited there. Okay, Non-Muslim prayer is prohibited there. Did you know that? For much of Israel's history, this status quo was broadly unquestioned by the Jewish public, due in part to the fact that ascending to the site was considered a grave Jewish taboo. Most mainstream rabbis warned Jews against visiting there, lest they accidentally tread upon God's presence. But over, this is what they believe, but over the past seven years, a growing movement has challenged both the rabbinic admonition and the ban on prayer, calling for Jewish rites at the Temple Mount. The movement's unofficial leader is Yehuda Glick, a Nesset member in the ruling Likud party, who nearly paid for his activism with his life. In 2014, a Palestinian assailant shot him several times in the chest as he was leaving a Temple Mount conference. Glick reportedly said that the gunman told him, I'm very sorry, but you're an enemy of Al-Aqsa. I have to. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I have to shoot you. (laughs) The failed assassination attempt only brought attention to the cause for Jewish prayer, which Glick and others frame, okay, check this out, frame as a civil rights issue. In recent years, thousands of Jews have ascended the Temple Mount, agitating to be allowed to worship. Cry for Zion plays a supporting role in these efforts, emphasizing that Christians should be able to pray there too. This is what they say. Okay, Oh man, listen to this. It is freedom of worship for the three monotheistic religions, says Kaidar, a former Christian Zionist who converted to Judaism as an adult. Okay, they were never a Christian. But they said, just look at this this, uh, pipeline from Christian Zionist to Judaism. 
that should give you a little bit of a hint that Christian Zionism is absolutely blasphemous garbage. It's false doctrine. You shouldn't be believing in it, supporting it. And freedom of worship of the three monotheistic religions? What are you talking about? A Christian would say, Jesus Christ says that he's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only way. Why would you Why would you advocate for Jews who reject the Messiah to be able to go pray up there? Why would you care? That's not something a Christian should be concerned about. But Munther at, of uh, Christ at the Checkpoint said that he didn't see how Jewish control of the site was a guarantor of that promise. In an ideal world, Jerusalem should be a place where Christians, Jews, and Muslims should worship freely. Oh, like a one-world religion? But that should be the result of real peace that respects the equality of all residents of Jerusalem, of all residents of this land. Aviv Tatarsky, a researcher with Ir Amim, a Jerusalem group that monitors Temple Mount issues, says that the efforts to mobilize Jewish prayer are merely a palatable front, listen to this, a palatable front for another goal to fulfill prophecy by rebuilding the third temple. And some in the so-called temple movement have implicitly or explicitly called for the destruction of the mosques at the site to make room for it. Well, now, what do we have here? Now we're getting to the important stuff here. Pay attention. Activists decided, if we speak about the temple, we are considered lunatic. We are considered dangerous. Who will support us, said Tatarsky. It makes much more sense to say that we are going to pray. We are the victims. Our rights are being violated and so on. Oh, we're the portray themselves as the victim as they you know, sneak around with another agenda. It's a shift, he said, that worked very well drawing the Israeli public into the issue. Cry for Zion says that it does not promote the... Okay, (laughs) listen to this. Cry for Zion says that it does not promote the destruction of any building on the Temple Mount, nor does it advocate the rebuilding of the Temple. Okay, this is absolute baloney, dude. Watch. But at the first Cry for Zion conference in December, held at the same Jerusalem Convention Center outside which Glick was shot, several speakers contradicted the group's official stance, sometimes in fiery terms. Mordecai Persoff. Well, now, there's that name again. And the head of the Mikdash Educational Center, that's one of the guys behind these coins, these temple coins, right? Who's targeting Christians. Who who, who puts the, uh, the phrase from the war scroll about sons of light versus sons of darkness on the coin with Netanyahu and Trump on it. This guy, this rabbi, what does he say? He spoke openly about constructing a new temple, calling Trump's decision to move the embassy to Jerusalem a prophetic event. And then he says, when maybe the biggest leader of the world now says that Jerusalem is the center of the world, it has to be some kind of prophecy, said Persoff. This is our temple mount, he continued to applause. It belongs to us. We are not going to go up as visitors. We just have to get a small push to remind us it is time to build the real house in Jerusalem. And it is possible. How is it possible, though? If the Al-Aqsa Mosque is there, how can you build it? 
Well, they're going to tell you. Later, there was a panel discussion on the topic of the Temple Mount in prophecy and politics. One panelist, Rico Cortez, a leader in the Hebrew Roots movement. Now we got those guys joining in, Hebrew Roots guys in which Christians follow Jewish rituals, predicted that rebuilding the temple would necessitate conflict. Really? It would necessitate conflict. You don't say. And what do they say here? This is the paragraph that we've been waiting for. The moderator, Chris Mitchell, a correspondent with the Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN, asked if it was possible to establish a new temple on the mount without destroying the Dome of the Rock. The gold dome shrine there. Cortez replied, That thing's got to go. His answer was met with hoots and applause. Okay? That thing's got to go. Because they all know that. Okay? That's, this is the key point of the whole thing. There is no way that you can build a third temple for the Jews unless the, the Dome of the Rock is destroyed. They know that. And so if you advocate and you give money and you buy these crazy coins and you give money to Israel and to support the building of the third temple, what you support is the destruction of the Dome of the Rock and absolute all-out war, World War III. With Do you know how mad the Muslims will, will be when that's destroyed? They will flip out worldwide and they will attack anyone who is Jewish, American, all their allies. It will be all out holy war. That's it. And you know what they're saying, though, with um, the Sons of Light versus Sons of Darkness thing? They're saying, you know what? We know that's going to happen. We know that has to happen and we're ready to fight it. We know this is a holy war and we're going to fight the sons of darkness and as part of the prophecy, we will absolutely destroy them. That's what they plan on doing. Okay, we'll talk more about that later and I'll talk more about the bigger picture as far as that goes. But I wanted to show you that, that this is not something that people haven't thought of. They know that that thing has to go in order to build that third temple. Okay. When asked why no one from Cry for Zion reputed that, repudiated that statement, and Arson said that Cortez's statement was too broad to disavow. What do you mean by it? Do you mean a thousand years from now when God interacts with history and the skies in heaven open that the building would be removed? Or like the crazy Australian tourist trying to play dumb? Uh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. And, and, but it actually, you know, it's interesting because it talks a little bit about how the Christians are manipulated. Um, Cry for Zion is hardly the first Christian effort to influence the Temple Mount. According to Dan Hummel, a historian of Christian Zionism and postdoctoral fellow at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Christian interest there grew after Israel gained control of the site in 1967. This interest included evangelicals and fundamentalists who believed the future Third Temple would play a role in the events to lead up to Jesus' return. Now, it's a there's two different things here. Let me make a clear line of distinction here, okay? There is a clear difference between someone who believes that that may happen, some temple will be built there, that it, you know, it is fulfilling some prophecy, 
you know, just all the things going on in, in the Middle East and Israel, right? And that they believe there will be a second coming of a literal second coming of Christ, premillennial visible return, right? There's a difference between that and being one of these people, Christian Zionist, dispensational, whatever it is, and giving money to help Jews build a temple and to do and to whatever support their military who eventually will probably destroy it and and who will uh, bomb people all over the world including innocent civilians look up the Levon affair for more on that but keep you know you, you just just there's a big line there two different groups there and it's clear which one is wrong it is absolutely wrong as a Christian to give money to Jews so they can build a temple, which is a blasphemous monument that does not recognize Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he has already come, that he has fulfilled all the prophecies, including Isaiah 53 and, and others and Psalm 22 and all these other ones that they have had. It's a rejection of that. And when the when the veil of the temple was rent in twain, showing that the priesthood was abolished and all the need for animal sacrifices was abolished because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, he fulfilled that as the one-time sacrifice forever. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. One offering, just one. He abolished all those sacrifices the moment that you say we need to sacrifice an animal is a blasphemous repudiation of Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Messiah. To give money to that is sin. 100% sin. There's no even debate about it. Okay? And you're helping to uh, usher in World War III. Not a good thing at all. All right, now we're going to talk about some uh, spiritual stuff. Good more on that to show you uh, what this stuff all really means. Now we're going to turn to uh, Revelation chapter six. We, we are going to read a couple more things. Uh, talk about the Essenes and what that really means, who they were, what they taught, and tied in with Kabbalah, some other things, and then we'll wrap it up. But I wanted to to take a look at this to show you something. I think it's pretty clear from the book of Revelation, chapter six, talks about this, you know, the seals being opened. Now, the first seal in verse two, it says, And I saw, behold, a white horse, he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, lots of Christians have debated this for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you look at all the commentators, most of them say the one riding this white horse is Jesus. A lot of commentators, especially other Christians, that especially ones that are premillennial, dispensational, they say that's the Antichrist conquering and, and going forth, conquering and to conquer and all this stuff. I I don't know if I hold to, if I can dogmatically say which one I would say that that is. Um. I believe the, these uh, four horses and those who ride on them 
is for another study for another day. I think there is debate to be had about that first seal. But the reason I'm saying that is I don't think that the, don't think that there's much debate about the second seal. So we could say, okay, we we don't we're not really sure about the first seal, but the second seal is pretty clear. So let's read that. Verse three. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Okay, so, pretty straightforward. I believe this literally will happen. And, I mean, if you can see here that this is about to happen, okay? We're, the, the world is primed for this right now. Where peace will be taken from the earth, people will kill one another, and a great sword. Sword is usually is usually a symbol of uh, war and death in the Bible. Okay? And that's what's about to happen. And that would match this final world war, this absolute chaos breaking out. And then after there's the economic uh, collapse, or you could say hyperinflation, whatever it is, and, and those coming together. But this taking peace from the earth, you know, that's clearly something that we'll be able to see. And think about this. The Dome of the Rock is destroyed. Wouldn't there be, is there anything else as volatile as that that would take peace from the earth than that thing get destroyed? It's Everything's already starting to shake up pretty crazy. Everyone's freaking out. This issue of Israel makes people lose their minds on both sides. They go to extremes. They get obsessed. They act crazy about it. And just imagine how much crazier it would be if the Dome of the Rock was destroyed. So I think that's the thing to watch for. I think that's what they're aiming for. And when they talk about this holy war, that looks exactly like what they're headed for. Okay? Now, to add to this, take a look at this. What we're going to look at here is because this the document, the War Scroll, which talks about the war between the sons of light and sons of darkness, they say is from the Essenes. So I'm just going to read a little bit from Manly Palmer Hall's book, Secret Teachings of All Ages, because he wrote about the Essenes in this book, just a little bit of a section on them. And just to get an idea of what they believed, because if this is a document influencing the leaders of Israel today, and they're quoting it and putting the statement on uh, coins, we should probably learn a little bit about the Essenes. So Manly Paul Mahal, if you don't know, he was a high-level Mason, 33rd degree Mason, an occultist, uh, well-respected authority in Freemasonry and the occult. And this is what he said. During the centuries just prior to the Christian era, the secrets of the pagan mysteries had gradually fallen into the hands of the profane. To the student of comparative religion, it is evident that these secrets, gathered by a small group of faithful philosophers and mystics, were reclothed in new symbolical garments and thus preserved for several centuries under the name of mystic Christianity. It is generally supposed that the Essenes were the custodians of this knowledge 
and also the initiators and educators of Jesus. That's what they claim. Okay, and it's important to understand that this is a belief out there about this stuff. That they, you know, basically passing on these these secret mysteries and these people out there that teach that Jesus was a magician, that he knew the occult, and he did all every all his miracles by magic and all this stuff. If so, Jesus was undoubtedly initiated into the same temple of Melchizedek where Pythagoras had studied six centuries before. The Essenes, the most prominent of the early Syrian sects, were an order of pious men and women who lived lives of asceticism. And that's where he basically isolated away from society, from the pleasures of uh, the world, spending their days in simple labor and their evenings in prayer. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, speaks of them in the highest terms. He said they teach the immortality of the soul he says in, in esteem that the rewards of righteousness are to be earnestly striven for. In another place, he adds, Yet is their course of life better than that of other men, and they entirely addict themselves to husbandry. Okay, they did a lot of uh, farming and stuff. The name Essenes is supposed to be derived from an ancient Syrian word meaning physician. And these kindly folk are believed to have held as their purpose of existence the healing of the sick in mind, soul, and body. According to Edouard Shure, they had two principal communities or centers, one in Egypt on the banks of Lake Maoris and the other in Palestine at Engadi, near the Dead Sea. Some authorities trace the Essenes back to the schools of Samuel the Prophet. Most agree on either an Egyptian or Oriental origin. Their methods of prayer, meditation, fasting were not unlike those of the holy men of the Far East. Membership of the Essene order was possible only after a year of probation. This mystery school, okay, what does he call it? Mystery school. The Essenes were a mystery school. Like so many others had three degrees and only a few candidates passed successfully through all. The Essenes were divided into two distinct communities, one consisting of celibates and the other of the members who were married. Okay, So this was a mystery school that you had to be initiated through with multiple levels of degrees, much like many other secret societies like the Freemasons and, and these other groups. The Essenes were the same type of, of thing. The Essenes never became merchants or entered into the commercial life of cities, but maintained themselves by agriculture and raising of sheep for wool. Also by such crafts as pottery and carpentry, in the Gospels and Apocrypha, Joseph, the father of Jesus, is referred to as both a carpenter and a potter. In the Apocryphal Gospel of Thomas, this is, this is Gnostic stuff, and also of Pseudo-Matthew, the child Jesus is described as making sparrows out of clay, which came to life and flew away when he clapped his hands. No evidence for this at all. The Essenes were regarded as among the better educated class of Jews, and there are accounts of their having been chosen as tutors for the children of Roman officers stationed in Syria. The fact that so many artif listen to this, the fact that so many artificers were listed among their number is responsible for the orders being considered as a progenitor of modern Freemasonry. The symbols of the Essenes include a number of builders' tools, and they were secretly engaged. Now, I want you to, to see uh, one more thing about this. This is going to be is very interesting about their spiritual belief here. Uh, I'm sorry. The symbols of the Essenes include a number of builders' tools that they were secretly engaged in the erection of a spiritual and philosophical temple 
to serve as a dwelling place for the living God. Interesting how the Essenes are involved in building spiritual philosophical temple and we are talking about these Jews that are obsessed with building a temple. Now, look at this. Like the Gnostics, the Essenes were emanationists. We'll look at that in a second. One of their chief objects was the reinterpretation of the Mosaic Law according to certain secret spiritual keys preserved by them from the time of the founding of their order. It would thus follow that the Essenes were Kabbalists okay, into the Kabbalah and like several other contemporary sects flourishing in Syria were awaiting the advent of the Messiah promised in the early biblical writings. Okay, and they had the, a leader over them called the Righteous Teacher. Okay, um, I'm not going to keep reading all that stuff. Basically, that gives you an idea about them. Now, um, what did it say? Well, first of all, emanationist and then Kabbalah. So let's look at that. And it's going to tie everything together. And it will tie together your understanding of the sons of light versus sons of darkness. I'm going to tie that together. And I'm going to give you another bonus at the end, which is going to be totally crazy. Uh, so emanationist. Take a look at that real quick. Emanationism is an idea in the cosmology or cosmogony of certain religious and philosophical systems. Emanation from Latin emanare, meaning to flow from or to pour forth or out of, is the mode by which all things are derived from the first reality or principle. All things are derived from the first reality or perfect God by steps of degradation to lesser degrees of the first reality of God. And at every step, the emanating beings are less pure, less perfect, less divine. Emanationism is a transcendent principle by from which everything is derived and is opposed to creationism and materialism. All right. Now, show you something really quick here. How this ties together with the with uh, Kabbalah. Uh, yeah, let's scroll down here. Occultism. Yep. Okay. Ties in with the occult and Kabbalah. Uh, emanationism. Emanationism is a common teaching found in the occult, esoteric writings. According to Owen, theosophy, theosophy draws a Neoplatonic emanationism, in particular the concept of separation from and return to the absolute, and reworks the Eastern concepts of karma and reincarnation to provide an evolutionary theory of both humankind and the universe. Okay, so theosophy. This is the you know the the uh, religion started by H.P. Blavatsky which said that Lucifer is the good guy. That's exactly what they teach. Lucifer is good. God is bad. Theosophy contends that all organisms, including animals and human beings, and all matter flow from a pure spiritual formation in the absolute to a material, one over time to become materialized, and that they will later return to the absolute after the cosmic cycle of life. Now, I'm going to skip down here to get to the Kabbalah stuff. Blavatsky in her book, The Key to Theosophy, wrote that we believe in a universal divine principle, the root of all, from which all proceeds, and within which all shall be at the end of the great cycle of being. Occultist Samuel 
on We Are taught emanationism from his studies with the Kabbalah and Gnosticism. He mapped out a complex esoteric cosmology with matter flowing from different planes of existence, all existing in the absolute. As Dawson comments, as with esoteric thought in general, we are told that the universe originated in the ordering activity of the absolute upon chaotic primordial matter giving rise to or emanating the subsequent planes of the created order, Pleroma. Okay. So you can see this is tied together with Kabbalah. And that's where we're going to tie this stuff together. Uh, emanationism, the Essenes teaching, the Kabbalah. They were de- he said they were Kabbalists. And again, I want you to, to think about this in the context of the sons of light versus sons of darkness. And remember how people kept talking about the light and spreading light. What do they actually mean by light and darkness? Well, they explain right here. And uh, the we talk about the Big Bang. Now, the Big Bang, if you don't know, they t- it's tied together with Kabbalah because it basically is a Kabbalistic idea. Let's take a look at it. Modern science tells us that before the... This is, by the way, from Kabbalah.com. That's the source. Modern science tells us that before the universe existed, around 15 billion years ago, that's what they say, there are there was nothing and that the universe began in a single point. By the way, none of this I believe. I'm telling you what they believe. And that the universe began in a single point. This point, which had no measurements, contained space, time, and matter within it. And it then exploded, causing the Big Bang, releasing energy that eventually became the stars, galaxies, and planets. While science is concerned with the how of the story creation, Kabbalah focuses on the why. And it is interesting to note that both modern science and Kabbalah's teachings about the steps of creation from thousands of years ago are similar. The steps of creation. One, first there was light. Okay, check this out. The great 16th century Kabbalist Rav Isaac Luria, the Ari, told the story of creation as follows. Know that before the emanated, there's that emanation that we're talking about, which the Essenes believed in. Know that before the emanated, there were emanated and the creations were created, a simple divine light filled all of existence. And there was no space that was empty and all was filled with that simple and eternal light. Regardless of what one's spiritual religious beliefs are, we cannot deny that there is some sort of energy in the universe that is the source of power of all life. Kabbalah tells us that energy source is called the light, capital L. Okay, this is important to what we're we're talking about here. Before the Big Bang, before our universe and planet, the light was the only thing that existed. Think of the light as an eternal and omnipresent force of energy that contains within it limitless and infinite joy and fulfillment, encapsulating anything and everything positive. This light has been called by many different names. Listen to this. God, Goddess, Source, and the Creator, for example. 
The reason we call it the light in Kabbalah is because just like a single ray of light is within it all the colors of the rainbow, the light has within it every possible type of fulfillment anyone could ever desire. The light is not the creator itself, rather it is the energy that radiates from the creator. And it only has one desire, to share its essence endlessly and continuously. This endless energy of giving, we call the light, is known in Kabbalah as the first cause. Okay, So that's what they mean by light. This is what we're talking about. Whenever they say sons of light, or as Netanyahu said, we are the people of light, people of the light. This is what they're talking about. Number two, the light created the vessel to receive its essence. The Ari explains further. The simple light wished to create the worlds and emanate the emanated, to shed light on the perfection of its actions and on its names, which is the reason for creation. In order for the process of giving and receiving to occur, two participants are needed. The nature of the light is that of endless giving. As such, in order to share its essence... It needed to create something to receive all its beneficence. So, the light created what in Kabbalah is called the vessel. And that vessel is us. All souls, past and present, were and are part of that vessel. Since the vessel itself was created to receive, its inherent desire, therefore, is to receive and to receive infinitely. Just as the light's essence is infinite, there is a corresponding desire to receive that goes with every kind of gift that life has to that light has to share. For example, a body of spring water is part of the light, and the desire for a drink of water is part of the vessel. We then had the infinite cycle of giving and receiving, or cause and effect. Therefore, like the light is called the first cause, the vessel is called the first effect. This led to a beautiful and perfect unity in which the light shared its essence and the vessel received unending, limitless fulfillment. Okay? So, the souls are the vessels, and they receive the light. Number three, in in Kabbalah teaching. Uh, Number three, the vessel was not happy just to receive, it wanted to create as well. The vessel absorbed so much of the light that it took on the nature of its creator. As such, it was no longer happy just receiving all the time and wanted to be a creator too. It wanted to share and be the cause of its own fulfillment. Simply being the receiver caused what in Kabbalah is called bread of shame. The shame that comes from receiving that which is not earned. It's like winning the Super Bowl trophy without ever having played a single game. Fulfillment cannot be derived from the victory because it was not earned. Okay, well, let me read the last sentence. Uh, this one desire of the vessel went unfulfilled as there was no one to share with, thus preventing it from experiencing the endless joy it was created by the light to receive. Okay. Now, this is interesting because what they just said is a repudiation of the gospel. Straight up. That's exactly what it is. Listen to what they said. Simply being the receiver caused what in Kabbalah is called the bread of shame. And what is the shame? The shame that comes from receiving that which is not earned. Let's turn to the Bible here. And we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 2. And look at this right here. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? This is one of the most clear passages in the Bible that talks about salvation. It's through Jesus Christ. It says that you're saved through faith. Faith in what? And it talks all through the New Testament, faith in Jesus Christ over and over again, right? Faith in him, what he did for you, died for your sins. It says it's not of yourselves. It is a gift. But what does it say in the beginning? For by grace. Okay? It says, by grace. And check this out. What's the definition of grace? What does it say here? Favor, goodwill, kindness, disposition to oblige another. Right here. Number two. The free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all benefits men receive unto him. Unmerited love, unmerited favor of God. So what does that mean? Unmerited. It's not earned. It's not earned. Okay? So they say, oh, it's, it's, there's a shame, the bread of shame. It's the shame that comes from receiving that which is not earned. Which would, would mean that they're, they would be ashamed of the gift of salvation, the shame of the gospel. And you know what it says? It says, because they say, oh, it's like winning a Super Bowl trophy without ever having played a single game. Because they want to be able to boast, right? Look at me. I earned the Super Bowl trophy. But the, the word of God says, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you can't boast and say, look at me. I did this. Look at this trophy. Look at this gift of salvation. This salvation. You can't even say it's a gift. Look at this. I'm saved because of my works, because of what I did. I earned it. They don't like that. Number four, they say from the Kabbalah, the light contracted and the contracted and the vessel shattered. Next, Ari tells us the light contracted itself into its center, contracted itself into one infinite dot. This is Kabbalistic teaching. Why? The light wants to give us everything and did not create the vessel for it to experience this lack of fulfillment. So the light which filled up every possible space of existence with its essence, realized that it needed to step back and give the vessel room to grow, allowing for the removal of bread of shame. Therefore, as a means of giving the vessel room to grow, it restricted its blessings and contracted it into itself, separating itself from the vessel, causing the vessel to shatter. And that's where they talk about the Big Bang. Number five, the vessel shattered and caused the Big Bang, creating the universe as we know it. When the light contracted into itself, separating itself from the vessel, the vessel shattered, giving birth to the universe as we know it. This is known in Kabbalah as the Shivrat Hakalim or the shattering of the vessels. And it is that moment of restriction that is known as the Big Bang. Kabbalists call it Zim Zoom. 
a way to understand why the light did this is to look at how a parent teaches their child to walk. Even though they know their child will fall, they still step away and their child can learn. It's the only way. So too it is with the light. The light had to step back from the vessel so that it could learn how to share and create on its own. Because that is what the vessel wanted, to earn its own fulfillment. But in the light's withdrawing itself, a void was created so that the vessel could have the opportunity to reveal its own light. It is this space of emptiness that is our universe. Then they go on to talk about this clipot and all this stuff. Um, yeah. It talks about this light and anything. But anyways. You know, and there's different variations of this. It talks about, you know, divine sparks being in every one. Then they talk about some other clipot that are like the bad ones and they can only be saved through destruction and all, all this other crazy stuff. Point is, the Big Bang is a... It's a couple things here. First of all, the Big Bang comes from the Cabal. That's a fact here, okay? And it is a form of emanationism, which is what the, the Essenes believed in. Emanationism, Kabbalistic teachings, that's what they believed and that's what they taught. Now, the Big Bang is exactly that. It's emanationism. It's Kabbalistic. That's what the Big Bang is. And I also showed you this to show you whenever there's a reference to light, it's referring to this Kabbalistic teaching. That's what it's referring to. Light doesn't always just mean good, you know, from God. This is Jewish mysticism. This is the occult. This is not stuff from the Old Testament, like some of the, you know, a lot of ignorant Christians say, oh, the Jews, they follow the Old Testament. It's garbage. They follow the Talmud. They follow Kabbalah. They follow the other, all these other traditions and, and crazy teachings. They don't just follow the Old Testament. That's a lie. Okay? Now, when they talk about the light, it's a false light. Okay, I'm going to show you one more thing about the Big Bang, but I want I want to bring up this real quick about this false light here. First of all, we have this big warning in the Bible about this. Better pay attention to that, which is that in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, which uh, verse fourteen. It says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So just because someone says we are the light, we are the people of the light, does not mean that they're good. It doesn't. Satan is transformed into an angel of light. Just because they claim to be light doesn't mean they're good. In fact, a lot of people who claim to be of the light are satanic. People that call themselves light workers. And this is also another name for Satan himself. Okay, so it says Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Okay, so that brings us to one more thing, which is the name Lucifer, which is in Isaiah 14. And people try to argue and say, well, that's talking about the king of Babylon. It talks about things that aren't even possible for the king of Babylon. Yes, it immediately talked about him, but also it talks about Lucifer. It talks about Satan. When he says, I will ascend into heaven, I will be like the most high. This is also corroborated 
it, it, with uh, Ezekiel 28, the anointed cherub that covereth, it's the same being. It's talking about Lucifer before his fall. Okay, but that's what his name is. Isaiah uh, 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? The name Lucifer has to do with light. His name means shining one or the light bearer. Even it says, Albert Pike, the, the famous Freemason who helped to uh, create the Scottish the, the rights of the Scottish Rite, uh, I'm sorry, the degrees of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. He said in Morals and Dogma about Lucifer, is it he who bears the light? Doubt it not. He is the light bearer. Okay? So Lucifer, the light bearer, and Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. That ties together with this Kabbalistic stuff when it talks about the light. In fact, a lot of times now when people talk about they are lights of the light, it's usually one of these, you know, occult counterfeits. It's a satanic counterfeit. Now, to wrap that up, got one more surprise for you. So there's the Kabbalistic origins of the Bing Bang. But so guess who actually created the Big Bang Theory? Oh, it was a Jesuit Catholic priest. Yeah, it was. George uh, George's Lemaitre was a Belgian Catholic priest, theoretical physicist, mathematician, astronomer, and professor of physics at Catholic University of Louvain. He was the first to theorize that the recession of nearby galaxies can be explained by an expanding universe, which was observationally confirmed soon afterwards by Edwin Hubble. He first derived Hubble's Law, now called Hubble-Lemaitre Law, by the IAU, and published the first estimation of the Hubble Constant in 1927, two years before Hubble's article. Now listen. Lemaitre also proposed the Big Bang Theory of the origin of the universe, calling it the hypothesis of the primeval atom, later calling it the beginning of the world. Where'd he get that idea? Where'd he get the idea of the Big Bang? The occult, Jewish mysticism, Kabbalistic teaching. He integrated it in there. Because, uh, well, let's, let me show you the Jesuit training here. Lemaitre was born in Charleroi, Belgium, the eldest of four children. His father, Joseph Lemaitre, was a prosperous industrial weaver, and his mother was Marguerite Lenoy. After a classical education at a Jesuit secondary school, the Collège du Sacré Corps in Charleroi in Belgium he began studying civil engineering at the Catholic University of Louvain. Okay, he went. To, he was Jesuit trained, and then he uh, got ordained to be a priest. He was ordained a priest in September of 1923 by Cardinal Desiree Joseph Mercier. Okay, Jesuit trained Catholic priest invented. The Big Bang. He first to propose the Big Bang Theory. There it is. And it comes from the Cabal. That was just a bonus to tell you about that. And it also shows that, you know, every time you turn around, there's Rome attached to these things. Um, You know, and I could show you Jesuits attached to um, other things in evolution and the New Age movement. They're always there. But anyways, the roads go back to Rome. Eventually. Now, let's talk about one more thing from the Bible here to wrap this thing up. Let me summarize everything. 
So, think about this before I read this last passage here. Um, think about this. Everything after uh, going over all this information, you know, we see a lot of different things, but what we see is that there is this huge chance for World War III, first of all. But how do we get there? Well, we can already see the fighting over in Israel with Gaza and all those things. But to escalate to that big next level, it talks about Revelation in Revelation 6 and the second seal and peace is taken from the earth. If that Dome of the Rock is destroyed, it would absolutely happen. And uh, that's what all these groups are pushing for. You see these Zionist groups, these Jews. And and the biggest thing I'm, I'm showing you here is that they're targeting Christians. They're taking their money and using it to, to further this cause, to build this third temple, which is blasphemous. It will help to, to promote World War III, provoke that. It's a wicked thing for any Christian to support. It's absolute garbage. And this is a warning to you, anyone supporting that stuff. Absolutely wrong. And then I'm just, I just showed you all this evidence that Netanyahu's statement is basically saying they're about ready to, to pop off and do this thing. So uh, that's what he's talking about there. And then we talked about the Essenes, that where it came from, and Kabbalah and emanationism and all that stuff, the Big Bang. Right. So it, it has occultic uh, roots, these beliefs. And that and that and that's important because what's before I read this, the other thing that I'm saying is here's the other part of it, the spiritual aspect. Okay, because we're talking about, you know, war and stuff like that. But also when it comes to religions, every religion must be destroyed. That's what's gonna happen. All of them. Uh all, all the big ones, Islam, Judaism, most of professing Christianity, except for the true born-again Christians, a remnant. All the other religions. When there's this worldwide, when peace is taken from the earth and people see the absolute destruction, death, and barbarity, they will, they'll give it up. They'll give up those beliefs. They'll be begging for a savior, begging for things to stop. They'll be looking for something new. And basically the fundamentalists of all religions will have to be removed. Those that are really like strictly following that religion and won't go along with anything else. That includes the ones in the Muslims, Christians, and and super hardcore Zionist Jews and these types of things. They're going to remove most of them so there's no opposition to the new uh, beliefs which will happen. And what are those beliefs? Well, it tells you in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things? 
And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but add pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, why did I read that? Well, because it says here that there is going to be a man who will come. He's called the man of sin, the son of perdition. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. He will be worshipped as God, but he exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped, above every religion. There will, there cannot be these religions existing when he is revealed and exalts himself, the, the man of sin. They can't, they can't be around. It's the only worship that's going to exist is the worship of that man of sin as God. That's it. That's all there's going to be. And so that's what comes on the other side of this war. The destruction of all the old order, structures, religions, and the Antichrist riding in in the wave of chaos, and he will be worshipped as God. That's what we're talking about here. And it says this in Revelation 13. You can go read that. It says, All that dwell in the, wor- in the world, all who dwell on earth, shall worship him, whose name is not written in the book of life. They will worship the beast. It's what it says. And, and so this, all this stuff has to happen to lead up to that. That's where this is going. That's what I want you to see. That's what I'm trying to warn you about. Okay? Now... In order for you to understand this whole thing, I can't explain it all to you right now. You're going to have to go back and, and, and watch some other and listen to some other teachings that I've done. You know, but to understand the whole issue with the Jews and with the Vatican and the, and the one world religion and all this stuff, you're going to have to watch the um, teaching the fleshly versus spiritual seed of Abraham to understand the issue of, uh, of the Jews that. You know, Christian Zionism is not good. That's one extreme. And but then the other extreme of replacement theology, saying that they like, you know, there's no such thing as a fleshly seed of Abraham. That's also false doctrine, as well. You know, there is a fleshly seed, and they have rejected Christ, and they are, you know, grafted out. But there will be a remnant that repent and believe in the Jesus Christ as the Messiah and be saved. But until they do, they are it says that these are not the children the children of the flesh are not the children of God it plainly says it so you know it's all in that teaching i show that if you really want to understand that issue you got to watch that teaching you listen to it in addition to that i have an entire playlist about rome as the antichrist power two teachings especially you got to listen to are the four kingdoms in daniel and then the little horn power revealed okay to show you that the the antichrist power the little horn, which is little horn has to come out 
of the fourth kingdom. That's where they come out of. That great city that reigns over the kingdom of the earth cannot be Jerusalem. It is not. In 70 AD, they were destroyed and scattered throughout the earth. They had no power base. Definitely weren't having a power base in Jerusalem all the way until 1948. They didn't have it. But the Catholic Church did rule. And, you know, they were ordering around kings of the earth and, and many other things. So you got to see that. And then what goes along with that, and two other messages, as far as Rome is concerned, the mistress of witchcrafts, which shows not only the occult knowledge that they have of the mysteries, but also then their coming transformation. And Pope Francis is helping to accomplish that transition because he is making things more and more liberal about you know redefining marriage and all these other things and they're transitioning to that uh, you know the newer face uh, of the Vatican and these types of things because they have uh, you know the mysteries and they're ke- they've been keeping them as exoteric meanings for a while but then it's going to come out as the real meanings and say oh here's what all these religions actually meant here's the secrets and the mysteries and they reveal it okay and then the last one to go along with that is um from love of sin to the man of sin why the world will worship the beast and that basically just goes over what i just said how that's all going to happen and then actually one more too is called um the falling away setting the stage for the beast because it says that before that that there come a falling away first then the man of sin is revealed and that's what we we've been going through for a while for uh for a while i've been going through this falling away and apostasy where a lot of professing Christians, the churches, are getting farther and farther away from the truth of the Word of God, sound doctrine, and, and churches become clown show entertainment centers uh, where people want to have their ears tickled. They don't want the truth. The time will come when they will not endorse sound doctrine, but shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. They want to hear lies that make them feel good, that make them feel comfortable. They don't want the they don't want the truth. They don't want things that convict them. They don't want to repent. They don't care about holiness, righteousness, uh, you know, hearing about repenting of sin. They don't want to hear any of that. Just bet my best life now. Everything's good. God is blessing me, blessing me, blessing me, and that's it. That's all they want to hear. Everything's going to go well and great. Well, guess what? When those churches have all been hearing those type of messages and these mega churches have been hearing that and all those people, that's what their faith is. And then all this crazy chaos happens, death and destruction. You think they're going to stick around? No, they're going to give it up. They're all going to give it up. They say, forget this religion thing. I'm out of here. I don't believe in this because it's not real. And that'll be even more of a falling away. And that's all preparing the way for the man of sin. So that's what has to happen as well. So you got to watch all those. You, you have to get all that down in order to fully understand everything that's going on here. Okay, There's a lot to learn, a lot to study, to properly understand this subject, all these things that tie together. But we see a lot of prophecy being fulfilled. And again, I am not like these... Christian Zionists and dispensationalists who kind of like trying to make this stuff happen, could trying to give people money to build a third temple and, and make a red heifer and and provoke war and and they don't care if 
Uh, innocent civilians get slaughtered by the thousands and, and they don't care about Palestinian children getting killed. They talk disgusting about that stuff. They have no compassion at all supporting that. It's insane that a professing Christian could act that way and, and have the posi- that position. I don't stand on that side at all. Again, I stand on the, stand of the, the side of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Jews need it. Muslims need it. Everyone needs it. Preach the gospel to every creature. And that's the most important thing. And and looking to Jesus Christ, he is the only way. And he was prophesied in Isaiah 53. Okay? Yeah, so one more thing I wanted to add before we end. I'm going to play this clip from Heim Richman, Rabbi Heim Richman. Rabbi in Israel, who was the international director of the Temple Institute from 1989 to 2020, which is dedicated to rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and a remember, a member of the current effort to revive the Sanhedrin. Okay, so he has been part of that whole movement to build the temple. Now, what does he think about Jesus Christ and Christians? Listen, what he says here. I just want to say this to our Christian friends. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just to, just to call it as it is and say it straight out. You know. You guys are worshiping one Jew. That's a mistake. You should be worshiping every single one of us because we all die for your sins every single day. And that's exactly what's going on here. How utterly blasphemous is that? You guys are worshiping one Jew, Jesus Christ. You should be worshiping all of us. We die for your sins every day. By the way, that is what a majority of them... That's their interpretation of Isaiah 53. They say that it's talking about them, the Jews. They're the ones that are suffering. They're the suffering servant. They're the ones that are dying and suffering for our sins. They're the saviors of mankind. And so he says, no, you should be worshiping us. And it's a mistake for you to worship Jesus Christ. And that's who you give your money to. Christian Zionists, dispensationalists, Hebrew roots, and everyone else that gives money to them. That's what you're supporting. You think God approves of that? Oh, they will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Well, he just cursed your Savior. How about that? He doesn't have any consequences for cursing Jesus Christ? Think about that. Your statement doesn't even make any sense if you claim to be a Christian. No sense at all. Okay. Now, just to wrap this up, what I wanted to say about, you know, Jews and in, in the, in the Vatican and all these things, I wanted to be the final point on that, which is that I believe the proper perspective to have is not to be crazy extreme blaming Israel for, you know, and the Jews for all the problems in the world, every single thing, and, and they, they're behind every single thing. No, I don't think that. I think ultimately it is Rome, it is the Vatican. Absolutely, if you look at the highest level, especially Jesuits, Knights of Malta, and all that other stuff. But that doesn't mean they don't have power, and they do, are in a lot of positions of power and high level. But it's always open positions of power that everyone can see. And the reason for that is, is... You know, they pursued that, but also the Vatican allowed that to so that they are the bag men holding the bag so that when things go down and everyone's mad, 
that's who they're going to go after. That's who they're going to be mad at. The people that are open positions of power. They know their names, their faces. They say, ah, there they are. They're the ones that have caused all these problems. It's their fault. Whereas the Jesuits have always been very sneaky, hidden hand. It's hard to, to you have to do a lot more work to uh, dig up their their connections and the things that they're doing. But it is there, and there's a long history that can be proven. That's why I have a history on them. I have multiple videos on that. But anyways, you, you got to view it that way. You have to view it that way. They're the bag men for the Vatican. They're going to take the heat, take the fall for all these things. Everyone's going to get really mad at them. And so what should we do? We just, like I said, stay out of it. Stay out of it and, and focus on the main thing, which is preaching the truth, showing the truth about these things, and directing people back towards Jesus Christ who is the Messiah, direct them towards the gospel and say, this is the only way of salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He has come in the flesh. He is the Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's who we point people to. To repent and believe the gospel. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is your only hope. Not in Judaism, in the Catholic Church, not in Islam, not in any other false religion, and certainly not in the, the man of sin. It's in Jesus Christ, as is described in Scripture, in the Word of God. That Jesus Christ. He's not just a prophet. He's the Son of God. Okay? He is the Christ. And he alone will be worshipped, should be worshipped, and that's it. Okay? So, I know that was a lot of crazy stuff, but I hope that uh tried to, to tie it all together for you. I hope that was a blessing and you kind of see that there's a lot of going on. Things are deeper than you, you see on the surface. And... There are spiritual forces moving in the world today. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who we fight against. That's what this real war is. So stop getting so caught up on flesh and blood and see the spiritual realm behind everything that's going on. And get engaged in that war That war. By believing the gospel, the gift of salvation, and then praying and reading the Bible every day and preaching the gospel and doing the will of God. That's what we need to do. All right. Well, that's it. And uh, also, one more thing. Go watch the End Times Chaos playlist to uh, help to prepare for all this crazy stuff that's coming. I put that out there for you, too. All right. So that's it. Thank you. Uh, thanks for watching and listening. Please like, share, and subscribe, especially in the description. You'll see the Telegram feed where you get all the PDFs of the notes and uh, you know uncensored news, and you'll find me there if I get censored anywhere. Thank you for all the prayers, all the encouragement, the comments, and the gifts, and everything else. God bless you. Have a good day.